Blog Talk Radio. talk show and we're proudly presenting another episode of the airline talk news and history and sometimes we act out our experiences that actually happen to flight crews and today's one of those days we are doing an episode that does exactly that and I've titled it death at flight level 370 hi my name is Neil Holland I'm a retired captain with Eastern Airlines and producer of the show If you're listening in on the show's website, which is blogtalkradio.com, that's blogtalkradio.com forward slash Captain Eddie, and I've abbreviated Captain C-A-P-T-E-D-D-I-E. That's blogtalkradio.com forward slash Captain Eddie. And you'd like to make a call in and talk with our guest and host during the show or just to add your memories then why not just give us a call and you can do that at area code 213 that's 213 816 1611 
the producer will see your number, me being the producer on the caller's board, and ask if you'd like to join the host and share those memories with us. We're a satellite-based radio station, and we're heard around the world. As a matter of fact, we now have listeners in over 50 countries. Now, let me repeat the number once again. Let's repeat it, and it's 213-816-1611. Call us now. And as usual, we have hosts from around the U.S. that join us in these airline radio talk shows every Saturday. And today I see on my producer's board a number of callers, and I don't see one in particular, which I start off with usually, and that's Captain Jim Holder. Let me open some of these microphones and see if Captain Jim is with us, and we'll go down the list to see who is with us on my producer's board. And so far, Jim, if if you're here, uh, would you say hello, please? And I don't think he's here. So Jim uh, Jim Holder uh, is from uh, Atlanta, and he usually drops in uh, every Saturday with us to join the rest of the hosts. But let's see. Looking at my producer's board, I see uh, way up there in Toronto, Canada, is Brenda Chabot. Hello, Brenda. How are you? Hi, Neil. I'm good, thanks. It's... um. Still hot and sticky, 86 degrees, and uh, yeah, really humid. Yuck. <laughs> hot I'm and good. sticky. That sounds like a description of where we are, or I am, Florida. <laughs> yes, we get that weather, believe it or not, a lot. Every once in a while, for a day or two before it becomes winter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm okay. looking forward to winter. <laughs> All right, enough. Uh, uh, enough uh, fun in, in Canada. Let's go on over to the <laughs> Pensacola area, the panhandle of Florida, and we see Margaret Bars is with us. Hello, Margaret. Hi, Captain Neal. Yes, we're over here in Pace, Florida, on the outskirts of Pensacola. Brenda, it's 86 degrees here as well, but we oh. are cloudy, with... <laughs> so you do have our Florida weather. And we are here with some isolated thunderstorms, Thanks for a good afternoon reading a nice book. Oh, yeah. Okay. Is Luann there with you, Margaret? Uh, she is, but as usual, she's running late, so she will probably come later in the show. Okay. If you ask her. <laughs> all right, all right. I'll have to I'll have to ask her very pleadingly. And uh, let's see. Let's move on over to Texas. And way out there in Texas is... Captain Jim Harris, do I have your microphone turned on, Jim? Are you there? Yes, yes, you do. Greetings and salutations from Gripping Springs, Texas. It's the same temperature as 86 degrees and rather humid today. All right, all right, rather but, dripping springs. Yeah, that's dripping with oh, humidity. Oh, yes, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> dripping springs is dripping with some humidity today. Okay. <laughs> all yep, right. It's a good place to be. Thanks, Jim. Would you would you turn in to Jim Holder if he doesn't show up for our little... Oh, absolutely. Yes, yeah, sure. All right. All right. I'll do it. And, and way over there, and, and I know it's not a human where Bill Joseph is. I see Bill Joseph. Hello, Bill. Where are you, and what's the weather? Good morning, Neil. I'm uh, just finishing my breakfast out here in the Grand Valley on the western slope of Colorado. 
Our temperature is also 85 degrees, going to a high of 98 today. But the good news, folks, the humidity is 19%. Oh, God. (laughs) I'm drying out already. (laughs) Okay. Well, uh, I I hope uh, Jim Holder uh, shows up. But at any rate, uh, Margaret, uh, is there any more news out of Kentucky where you're family uh, were in that flood, uh, that flood area. We, we've got weird weather all over the country, it seems like, and and some of us disastrous like uh, happened here a few weeks back in, in uh, Hazard, Missouri, uh, Hazard, Missouri, Hazard, Kentucky, where Margaret Bars uh, has a home there and her friends were, uh, were in that flood. Uh, Margaret, do you have any update for us? Well, according to Kentucky officials, the counties affected now by this massive flood are in what they call the stable progress stage. And actually yesterday morning, uh, Senator Mitch McConnell visited Hazard, Kentucky, and they had a closed-door session talking about the flood. And he later spoke to the press saying this will be a long process, and we all knew that, and he said it will take years to solve the housing problem, and that is true. And he did pledge that FEMA would be there as long as it takes. And, again, just a quick little note, uh, volunteer groups are working so hard there. Um, they call it mucking out the homes, meaning they have to get rid of the mud and they strip mm. the walls and the floors. So it's, it's really, really sad. We do have uh, actually some people still in shelters. Uh, They're hoping to remedy that. But on an interesting note, and perhaps a little bit lighter, I love this. I wish I could have attended this event. On August 30th, there were some country singers that came together in Prestonsburg, which is uh, about an hour from Hazard, in a fundraising event, and they called it Appalachia Rises, Come Hell or High Water. (laughs) And uh, that is so true. And we can yeah. you and thank everyone for their support. So thank you all. Very good. Very good. Lovely. Okay. Well, yeah. let's go into our show. And uh, I'm going to give you a little background music here, Bill, uh, when you introduce uh, our show. Let's see if, if I can get a little music sound here. Um <laughs> When you hear the music, you start talking. That's not the music I wanted to play. <laughs> but uh, at any rate, it's all yours, Bill. Uh, I mean, Bill, would you start the show for us? Thank you, Neil. Death at Flight Level 370 is the title of our program today. Winging its way from Miami to John F. Kennedy International Airport, Eastern Airlines Flight 12 is navigating along an airway known as Oceanic Control 1150, which is a near-direct route. It's a beautiful starlit night with distant lights of Jacksonville, Savannah, Charleston, and beyond. The quietness at flight level 370 in the cockpit is interrupted by the Boeing 727-200 Cabin crew, call chime sound. Jim is Brenda. 
you, Miss Brenda. We have a situation back here in the cabin that needs attention by the captain. Just what is the problem, Brenda? Well, we're administering oxygen to an elderly gentleman who's with his wife. Uh, can the captain make an announcement asking if there's a doctor on board? Uh, I'm listening, Brenda. I'll make it now. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, this is your captain speaking. If there's a medical doctor or nurse on the flight tonight, would you identify yourself to any of the flight attendants? It's urgent that you do so now. Just raise your hand and the flight attendant will come to your seat. A female doctor is recognized by flight attendant Margaret, who ushers her quickly back to row 27, where the elderly man is seated with his unfinished meal on his seat tabletop, uneaten. His wife is confused by all the commotion going on around their seats. The doctor makes a quick exam of the gentleman and tells the flight attendant, Margaret, that the man needs attention as quickly as possible and suggests telling the captain of the urgency. Captain, the doctor's just done a quick exam and has determined the gentleman needs to be taken to a hospital as quickly as possible. Jim, we're coming up at being Charleston, South Carolina, so call Charleston Approach and tell them we need immediate clearance to land at Charleston for medical reasons. And S.O. Jim, we'll, we'll call Miami Dispatch and tell them about our decision to land at Charleston, work up a clearance from Charleston to JFK after we land and have the gentleman taken off the aircraft by the emergency unit. The clearance quickly given to the flight crew and a near-emergency descent follows as the captain makes an immediate left turn direct to Charleston with all three engines at idle and the speed brakes giving assistance to their rapid descent. From flight level 370 to making contact with the runway is only 15 minutes, but it is as quick enough to rush the passenger to the nearby Charleston Hospital and save his life. More about that when we asked the captain of that flight what the outcome was for Eastern Airlines Flight 12. Captain Neal? Thanks, Bill. Yeah, that was uh, that was some evening, a beautiful evening flight going up uh, from Miami to Kennedy, and uh, just as we've described in the, uh, the little short narrative there, uh, it happened with call chime and the flight attendant coming up and asking uh, if we'd make the announcement. And, of course, we found the flight attendant to found the, a doctor on board, and uh, and that's exactly what uh, message that was relayed up to me flying that flight that night. And, uh, yeah, we put it down into a, almost an emergency descent from our altitude because – Control 1150 is not far offshore from Charleston. Uh, it's pretty much direct Miami to Wilmington and then on up uh, to the northeast. And uh, we we came down and we, we were on the ground in about 15 minutes where the EMS vehicle was waiting the flight. And my across-the-street neighbor, I was relaying this story to him yesterday because he was the chief uh, fire uh, of the of the Miami International Airport Fire Department, and um, I asked him about EMS vehicles uh, being stationed with the fire department. He said, "Oh yeah." He said uh, they are separate, kind of separate unit there. And um, well, at any rate, in Charleston, it was evening time, 
and the EMS uh, folks came on board. Uh, no one got off the airplane at that time, but they stabilized uh, the gentleman. He was in his 80s, and his wife also in her 80s, and she was pretty much uh, in shock. Uh, like like the script said, uh, they were both uh, had meal trays uh, and had meals on their uh, tabletops or seat back, whatever they call them. I forgot now what they call those trays. What did you call them? Tray table. Okay. It's amazing how fast you can forget airline oh, jargon, yeah. but uh, parts of the airplane. But at any rate, once they got him stable, they removed him from the aft air stairs down uh, and put him into the uh, EMS and took him off to the hospital. Well, we didn't find out, I didn't find out later until uh, that uh, the gentleman died en route to the hospital. And um, I also found out that he was pass riding. He and his wife were pass riding up to New York. And uh, he was the son of a, an Eastern, or he was a father of an Eastern uh, executive, a vice president of Eastern Airlines. And I can't remember exactly his name now. But uh, I did receive uh, uh, boys from uh, Borman and also the uh, vice president. The sun, and uh, but it happens so quickly, and you got to make quick decisions, and that's pretty much what our show is about tonight. Uh, today, I've got uh, I don't know what Sharon. Are you with us, Sharon Moore? No, J uh, Janie Hughes. Are you with us? Yes, I am, Neil. Okay, and you were telling me a story about an emergency that you had in flight, also. Can you tell us yes, about that? Um, sure can. From Charlotte to Atlanta, I was flying a route along the eastern seaboard, but from Charlotte to Atlanta, we had um, almost a full flight, but during flight after we took off and they were serving breakfast in first class and we were doing a light servicing coach, um, somebody was calling my attention and I went over and a gentleman was obviously in trouble and the two people next to him strangers to him were shaken and i could see that the man was beginning light stages of seizure with unusual motions so i relocated the two people called for my fellow flight attendant that was helping me in the coach cabin and told her to go to the first class cabin and get me a linen napkin and a stainless steel serving spoon and notify the senior flight attendant and ask the captain to make the announcement about medical people on board. So she brought the napkin back, the senior flight attendant came, and the people around were being uh, relocated so that I could get in and wrap the spoon with the napkin and go into his mouth and put the pressure on his tongue and push his seat back. We started putting blankets on him and pillows around him in the event that he started seizure motions with his body. We didn't notice a bracelet about his medical condition, so we just acted fast. And the captain sent back the first officer. First officer warned us to keep our fingers away from his jaw, that he would bite down strong, and we knew that. And relocating the people was very important. There was no one of medical profession on board, so we had to commence with 
what we were doing to help him. And so we held him together. We didn't have to make an emergency landing because we were en route to Atlanta, but the captain did notify the ground crew to make preparation to send somebody on board as soon as we landed at the gate. So we landed at the gate. They did come on board, and the passengers that were on board did, could go ahead and get off. He was, when he came to, he was just in shock and confused, and I was talking to him because I sat next to him during the landing to keep him calm, and he was just real embarrassed. He had never had a seizure before, and this was his first, so he was very upset. And in this, we learned that you can have an epileptic seizure any point in time of your life, genetic or brought on by head trauma or drugs or even uh, hyperglycemia. So we just have to be ready, I guess, to help anybody. But as flight attendants and as uh, the flight deck crew, we responded brilliantly and helped this man through this very disastrous situation. And I'm so proud of that today because I was so young. And in training, you know, we learned that at the Miami Springs Villas, how to do certain things and apply it to help our passengers. And we exhibited the love and care of what, flight crews and flight deck crews represented at that time. And today they publish 12 things that a flight attendant cannot do anymore, and that's A, to even give an aspirin. And on an international flight, they can't even give a pen to a passenger because then it becomes a weapon. So it was a different world, a different time, and I flew from, I joined Eastern and went through training the summer of 1967 and ended my career the fall of 1977. And I can tell you it was the best years of my life to train me to do anything. And I've told many CEOs and executives that I've met since then, if you want the job done, get an ex-flight attendant. (laughs) Very good, Janie. (laughs) Very good. All right. We have some other stories, and and uh, Margaret, would you start it? I will. Um, as you said, we do have uh, several similar stories that were sent to us, and uh, Adam Kerstetter writes, I had a gentleman on a flight years ago. He was, for all intents, dead, no pulse, not breathing. There happened to be a doctor and nurse on the flight, They got him to the floor in the aisle and began to work on him. I had a very green crew, both just out of training, so I had to guide the aft attendant to grab the AED and assist the medical professionals in what they needed. We were luckily already descending to the airport. I got in touch with the captain and informed him of what we had going on. He called for medics to meet the plane. I instructed my number two attendant to stay by the phone and relay any information between me and the captain that I was returning to the cabin to oversee my other attendant and the medical team. The number three attendant was rattled, so I had to continue prompting her in her duties. It was very understandable. She was on her first flight after graduating. Talk about out of the frying pan into the fire. I was also talking with 
Yes. I was also talking with a man's wife and daughter trying to get his medical history and trying to calm them down. And by the time we landed, the medical team managed to bring him back. By the time the ground medics got on the plane, he was cracking jokes and flirting with my crew, laughing out loud. (laughs) It was a stressful few minutes, but it ended much better than we expected it to. I have one that's a little bit different. It's kind of on the other side of it, but um, it was all over the news in Canada at the time in the 1980s. I don't remember what year, but that a woman in Paris had been killed when a suicide jumper from the Notre Dame Cathedral had jumped to his death and landed on her. She was a ward air, which is the airline I worked for. She was a ward air passenger from Ottawa who was vacationing with her sister in Paris. It was on my flight that her sister was heading home in the cabin and her sister was in the belly. It was awful. Oh, my. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Do you have another one? Yeah. Yeah, I I do. Um, A DC-10 flight to uh, England. I can't remember where in England. I think it was Manchester. Anyway, um, we had a young first officer. I can picture him now. And I was the in-flight manager, so I'd be in and out of the cockpit. And he just, he wasn't feeling well. He wasn't feeling horrible, but he wasn't feeling well on that flight. And, uh, you know, we landed and went to the hotel, as we normally do. And some of us go to sleep for a while and then meet for dinner. Others are able to get up right away and, you know, go for a walk. Well, he did. He went for a walk, and all he had with him was his hotel uh, key. Aside from that, he had no idea or anything Well. He dropped dead at a heart attack on the pavement, and the police there didn't know who he was. They, you know, they had no idea, so they got hold of the hotel and sorted the whole things out. But uh, it was really sad, you know, bringing him home in the belly. They ferried another co-pilot over, and uh, his wife was uh, Air Canada flight attendant, and they had a little boy who was three years old. So I mean, this was a young man. So yeah, that was another awful, you know. You just really felt it. Yeah. Part of your crew is down there. It's just wrong. But anyway, yes. And Sandra Clemen, she's a silver liner, isn't she, Brenda? Yes. Yeah. She's our yeah. vice president. Yeah. Okay. She writes uh, also. And would you like to tell us what she wrote? Sure. Um, she said, I had a gentleman die on my flight to West Palm. Don't remember the year or his name but he was the oldest living graduate of West Point at the time. Aw, that'd yeah. be sad. Yeah. yeah. Well, Captain Jim Holder's not with us, but Jim Harris Here he is. is. Yeah, okay. Yep, yep, I got it. <laughs> okay. um, I had a man die en route from Philly to Denver in 12C on a guppy. No one noticed until a woman in 1 and 12B tried to awaken him upon arrival in Denver. It was pretty uneventful, but after that, we had to call the paramedics, but he was actually getting stiff by then. So, um, Sharon Rutherford may be on a slow show United Flight 811, which took off from HNL, and a cargo door open in flight. Are you with us, Sharon? She's not with us, but I think we remember okay. that that uh, Honolulu oh, flight. Yeah, and uh, Was do she you a remember? on that? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Cheryl Rutherford. Yeah, she wrote us 
and told us about that. Wow. And I thought she was going to be on with us today, but she, uh, I didn't, must not have notified her. But uh, that is at any amazing. rate, yeah. At any rate, you have another one there, uh, Jim. Would you tell us about that one? Yes. I had a passenger die on a flight. The senior F.A. fell apart and was crying in the galley as a man needed CPR. I had to take over. We made a flap stop, flag stop, and the man was taken off the plane. He didn't actually pass away on the ground, but after either in the ambulance or at the hospital. A physician didn't wish to help but became irate when the paramedics took his stethoscope off the airplane. The whole thing was very disillusioned and full of human failings. We got the plane on the ground as fast as we could, but between the senior who shot, who should not have been in that capacity, and the crummy physician, it bothered me for a long time. Also, there were other emergency personnel on the flight who jumped up and were more than willing to help. It was an example of the best of humanity and a few disappointing people. We all did a very good job, but sometimes even the best of help can't stop the inevitable. As stressed stress and hurried as the people are when traveling, it's amazing I only experienced this on one flight. Jim? Wow. Okay. Jim says, I had a pastor pass away on a flight. We found an Army corpsman who had medical training beyond what we had. We gave her mouth-to-mouth chest compressions until we were relieved by Port Authority. She was returned to NYC from San Francisco for her brother's memorial. Our captain told us that that uh, if we started any life-saving procedures, we had to maintain them until we were relieved by the PA. I made the decision to keep going. That was 1961. And I had a a letter from uh, or an email from Captain Dick Borelli uh, in Atlanta, very good friend, uh, and he writes, when I was a DC-9 captain on a flight to Fort Myers, one of the flight attendants came to the cockpit near Tampa and said, Captain, I believe one of our passengers has died. I put on the hat and coat and walked back into the cabin and found a woman and her husband. The husband's eyes were rolled back into the back of his head, his head and, and drool was coming out of his mouth. He was obviously in severe distress or dead, or dead. I told his wife that we had radioed ahead and that we were going to land at Tampa and that an ambulance and medical crew were, would be waiting by the runway for us to land. She calmly looked up at me and he, she said, don't bother, he's gone just fly to Fort Myers. So that's what we did. That's a true story. So, uh, you know, there's so many. Yeah, with so many. And I did a little research about how many flights a day and the average airplane airliner. uh, Somebody had done a calculation of about uh, an airplane seating 200 people with all the flights every day and the in the U.S., and they're estimating that at any one time or, or during a 24-hour period, there are between 11 million and 20 million people in the air. Yeah. That's a lot of Amazing. people. 
and to have sicknesses and illnesses and death uh, like occur. Uh, it's just uh, amazing what the cabin crews do. Uh, as as the book that you wrote, Brenda, first responders, yeah. and yeah. Uh, it's incredible. Do you have time for one quick story? Yes, I do. Yes, we do. Okay. Um, I was on a. It was my first flight as an in-flight manager, which was uh, no longer union. You know, it was management, and I was being checked. Great, you know out of um, Presswick, Scotland, and we were going Presswick, Calgary, Vancouver, 747 full load. And from Scotland, we always had really, really old people. (laughs) And uh, we had really, really old people. So they're coming up the air stairs because in Presswick there, they didn't have a jetway. And somebody slips a lady, and so this is where it started. She had to have stary strips, you know. She'd cut her leg bad getting on the plane. Well, that's fine. We get air, airbound, uh, airborne, sorry. And um, it's going okay. Now, that I hate to say this, but it's true. They drink a lot, a lot. And, um, yeah. <laughs> mid-flight, I'm going through the cabin, and there's a center labs on the, the main deck of the 747. And I was cutting through, you know, there was two on the uh, forward, two aft. And the door, a bifold door opened as I was cutting through. And this little lady wearing a little, one of those little wool hats came out going, oh, oh. And I said, are you okay? What happened? I don't know. I was sitting on the toilet and something hit me. Well, it was was the diaper change table that someone hadn't latched properly. And it was the heavy one on the 747s on the 200 series. It was thick. Well, it had let go and landed on her head. Well, <laughs> lucky it didn't drive her down. But she, of course, had a previous head injury. Oh, my God. Anyway, then, uh, then uh, during the meal service, typical, someone loses their teeth, you know. Then we do duty-free and they're all buying everything. And they wake up about an hour and a half later, and they're all being sick because people are spraying their perfume that they bought on duty-free. Anyway, finally we land in uh, Calgary, and the captain was our young captain. He had quite the sense of humor. Anyway, ground tells us that a whole bunch of people got off when they shouldn't have. They were the ones that were supposed to stay on for Calgary. Now, we don't board people at that time because it was an international flight, so we had to wait. So he came on the radio and said to the rest of the passengers, when they come back on, let's all give them a hand. Well, they came back on, <laughs> the passengers gave them a hand, and a bunch of them started to cry. Oh, God. Anyway, we take off from now uh, Calgary to Vancouver, which isn't long, and a man has a heart attack. I thought, oh. So we're laying him out on the mid-seats because there's room and uh, dealing with him. And then we land, and we had 37 wheelchairs needed on landing to get them off the plane. Oh, my <laughs> goodness. <laughs> flight from hell. So yes, expect the unexpected when you're flying. <laughs> but yeah, that was my little story. That was a great story. <laughs> Unfortunately, I was so nervous, but hey, it worked out okay. <laughs> I actually got accolades on my tech flight. <laughs> Janie, does that bring a story or two back on some of your flights? Well, many stories, but... Um, 
less about death, more about um, getting in trouble on layovers and certain hotels <laughs> we stayed at and, and flights that we bid so that we could be in those hotels to get in trouble. And the air traffic <laughs> control strike stories, oh, yeah. my God. And yeah. there are so many and so many fun times to reflect on. And then... Yeah. You got to save it for a, a show where you have more time. Where I can honestly say I did two takeoff and two landings on one flight from Syracuse, New York to Atlanta in bad weather. And guess who I had on board? Elton John and Alice Cooper. <laughs> okay. So it's going to take a while, but it's worth it. And I've told so many people. When I go to Arizona, I'm going to go right up to Alice Cooper and say, remember when I told you your face, you owe me not one, not two, but ten favors. (laughs) 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 Oh, my God. Lots of fun. And and many, many wonderful cruise stories and Mm -hmm. um, just fabulous, just fabulous years of my life. Yeah. But fortunately, I will tell you, um, I did not experience death. That that would have been hard for me. But I did experience a lot of celebrity events. And when my crew uh, on a coach, uh, a night coach on an L1011, got to sing to Roy Orbison one of my favorite songs to him, and we practiced Woman. so we could sing. <laughs> To him and Roy Orbis and I worship and adore. And then red buttons when I got to run up to first class where he was sitting and go, hey, 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 ho, 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 ho. <laughs> yeah, you know, so, so much I, fun in the air. I can imagine. Yeah. I can imagine Margaret. Um, uh, Margaret uh, Lou Ann. I wonder if she's any had any stars on her. On her flights, Did she ever tell you about any? Oh, hey, Captain Neil, this is Luann. I'm right here on your show. Now, we never had anybody die on our plane, but I think we killed something on the runway once. Um, we were just uh, we were on a flight from Louisville to back to Hazard, Kentucky. You know, you heard me talk about Hazard. And, you know, everything was uh, going okay. I was doing my usual, I think you call it your post-flight announcement. Is that correct, Brenda? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And um, we hit this big old creature, furry thing, right out there on the runway. That thing must have been 8 to 12 feet tall. Now, our tires blew out. Our wheel assembly snapped off. Oh, it's terrible. And long story short, the plane skidded about 100 feet or 100 yards, I guess, on its nose. And, yes, it's true. We killed Bigfoot. Yep, we killed him <laughs> right there on the runway. <laughs> yep. We killed the skunk. I mean, it That's all about it. <laughs> it made Bigfoot. all the papers. Yeah. So I guess, you know, and I tried to be calm. Again, this is back in 2001. So I just said over the intercom, welcome to Hazard. Just mind where you step when you deboard the plane. And that's my story. 
Uh, fantastic, Luann. Oh, I see we've got a new uh, arrival here at uh, Jim Holder. Hello, how are you? I am okay, and I am full of apologies. I am. Uh, it, there was a three-car wreck up here, and I was not one of the wrecked cars, wow. but I was involved in it. Uh, oh, my God. Uh, I just got oh. home about uh, ten minutes ago, and I tell you, it was so exciting. I I, I said, I, well, God, a mighty, why didn't I call him and tell him I couldn't call him? But I, it just, uh, <laughs> nobody's dead, but uh, it was a hell of a wreck. Oh, my oh, God. Awesome. Yeah. Is that on the inter- interstate, Jim? Or no, it it's right over here roads? on a two-lane highway with a T oh, coming God. in, and I was in the middle of the T. And, uh, oh. But I was probably you know, the closest car that didn't get wrecked. But, uh, wow. It was a hell of a mess. And uh, I apologize. I apologize. Oh, totally, no totally, totally. And I did have one story I wanted to tell. Tell it. If, okay. It's what I was flying. It's about a six passenger. And uh, I was flying for ATA going from, uh, I think, Miami to Chicago. I know I was going to Chicago. Beautiful, clear day. And the flight attendant uh, came up. I guess we were right past Atlanta. And she said, Captain, there's a, there's a man back here who's fixing to die. And, of course, we were all coached, the one in the first class. I said, oh, my God. You know, that's right. His, his wife, old guy, old guy. Um, I'm 85 now, so I can call him. He's as old as me. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Anyhow, she said, this guy's about to die. And he was sitting up in the second row, I guess, on the aisle. And so I told the flight attendant, I said, well, really? Are you sure? She said, well, his wife is, thinks he is. <laughs> and so I said, well, listen, get, go back there and find out exactly what you think. And she came back. She said, I think he's about to die, too. So I told the co-pilot, we had just passed Atlanta, and I said, call him real quick. That we got to make a right turn, to turn back and go back to Atlanta. we got a medical emergency. And so we made a pretty steep descent and everything and came whistling in, and they had a gate for us, and they had the ambulance and everything waiting, and all the people came running on there. And, and uh, he looked like he said he was feeling better. I said, oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they really gave him a work over, and, uh, and uh, he said that, uh, uh, he said, I do feel a lot better, you know, and all that. I said, but listen, if we're going to take off again and go to Atlanta, I mean, go to Chicago, and you're going to die, you're going to be dead when you get to Chicago because I ain't doing this again. <laughs> I agreed that uh, he would probably not die, and if he did, they wouldn't blame me. And so, and he did. He made it all the way on up there. But it was something. He said, I, I think I'm okay now after, after they took his blood pressure and everything. And uh, I think he probably, I, I think I'd have done the same thing again if I looking back on it. But I did tell yeah. him we ain't stopping again. Don't, don't, you know, don't expect that. That's a good that's one. That's my story. That's my story. Oh, yeah. oh that's great. Oh, that's great. You love it. Uh, this is why yeah. getting together is so much fun with air crew. Because yeah. you get you know, uh, you have a few drinks and you get on a roll and oh my god, the stories. <laughs> yeah. Well who took old Jim Holder's place today? Was it Jim Harris doing double duty? Yeah, he did Yeah, it was. Duty. Yeah, you owe him. <laughs> I, I, yep, him yep. well. I I took over. I took over for you. Captain next Holden. time, oh, next time we're going to let you, Luann been, take been, over your part. You've been saving me a long time anyhow, so I appreciate it again, Jim. <laughs> oh, Luann would do a great job. You know I would. Yeah. <laughs> 
I got in quick enough to hear about what happened uh, up there when they killed, uh, what was the name of that thing, the mystery bear or something I heard uh, Margaret talking Big about. Foot. It. Oh, Bigfoot. Bigfoot. The mystery bear. Bigfoot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> little bitty plane killed a big bear. <laughs> That's a true story there, Jim. I know it is. I know, dude. I've been listening to you for a long time. You're a truth teller of the highest order. <laughs> I always tell the truth. <laughs> Maybe. Oh, golly. Uh, Brenda, we had someone with a silver line that's just recently passed away, and Beverly LaPointe uh, sent you a communication about that. Would you read uh, about – and Jill, uh, the one that uh, – passed away uh, was a host on this show for a year or two and was living in Chattanooga at the time. So would you tell us about that obituary, uh, Brenda? Yeah, I sure will. Uh, Beverly LaPointe, who's our Silver Niners Communication Director, uh, she sent this announcement that uh, Jill Van Harlegen Cotton passed August 23, 2022. Jill was born November 15, 1948, in Greenville, Pennsylvania. She was the daughter of the late David F. Van Harlegen and Anna L. Van Harlegen. Jill earned her wings as a flight attendant for Eastern Airlines, based out of Miami, Florida, for most of her career. After retirement, Jill moved with her family to Franklin, North Carolina, where she worked for Mako Crafts, before opening her own quilt store in Dillard, Georgia, called the Ramblin' Rose. Jill was a talented and award-winning quilter, known for her many vibrant works of art. She enjoyed sharing her talents with others, from teaching at John C. Campbell Folk School to holding quilting workshops across the Southeast. Jill moved to Asheville, North Carolina in 2012 uh, to be closer to her daughter and enjoyed her time as a member of Silverliners, uh, sorry, as a member of the Asheville Quilt Guild. In addition to quilting, Jill was a member of the National Society Daughters of the American Revolution. Jill was an active member of the Asheville-based Ruth Davidson chapter, where she served as registrar until her passing. Having grown up in a military family, Jill was always very proud of her family's patriotic roots and cared deeply about political affairs. Jill is survived by her daughter, Helen Heather Cotton, and son-in-law, Nathan Pennington, sister, Anne Van Harlegen, niece, Jamie Ann Van Harlegen, and great-nephew, Jeffrey F. Barbary. A private family memorial service will be held to celebrate her life. In lieu of flowers, please make donations to the Van Harlegen Historical Society. And uh, there is an address. I'll read it. Or I'm not sure if I should read it. Nobody's holding a pen, I'm sure. No, no, that's okay. No. But, uh, yeah, it's uh, sad. Yeah. Yes, it is. And uh, Jill was with us, uh, I think, in our early. I think Margaret, you may remember Jill Cotton uh, on our I shows. Did. Yes. Yeah, and uh, uh, so Chattanooga. I thought I thought she was in Chattanooga, but now that I recall, she was uh, living in Asheville, North Carolina, mm-hmm. and uh, she was uh, very good on the uh, radio shows early days. I think it's second, uh, first or second year. So uh, she was she was always great. Sad to hear. Uh, any uh, any news from uh, the Reaper folks and 
uh, Jim Holder, that you can report before we... Nothing. No, you know, we could just keep having, as you see, probably I put out the death notices uh, about three guys here in the last week or so, and uh, but nothing other than the deaths. That's about all we do now is just put out death notices and you know, wait to see you, what happens. Yeah, you just put out a notice, I think, yesterday of my good friend, very good friend, Ed Slane, who was a captain yeah, most did. of his right. yeah most of the time he was uh, based in uh, Miami and and uh, when we had our reunions a few years back Ed uh, was there and he introduced uh, for us uh, our Hall of Fame uh, nominee our candidate and winner of the Hall of Fame or uh, inducted into the Hall of Fame I should say Bob Wilbur yeah, no, yeah. this was our uh, uh, pioneer reunion that we had. At oh, Eastern, okay, yeah, yeah, down okay. In, uh, in Fort Lauderdale, and uh, Ed, being a good friend of Bob Wilbur, uh, introduced Bob Wilbur. Of course, Bob was uh, the captain on the DC nine that had the hijacking, and uh, James Hartley was killed, and um, mm-hmm. in the cockpit, uh, the co-pilot, the first officer was killed, and and uh, so Ed. Uh, did the introduction of uh, Bob Wilbur, and then um, he invited uh, me over to his home. He was a collector. Ed was a, a U-2 pilot also, and um, really, had, yeah, had a lot of uh, uh, memorabilia about that. And I, I kept questioning him about the uh, U-2, and he said, "Oh, he said I'm." I deal in confidentiality. I can't. Uh, that's uh, secret information. I said, oh, come on, Ed. Uh, you know, <laughs> I can get all the information, I guess, on the YouTube or out on the Internet. But uh, mm-hmm. he had a collection in his home. It was kind of like a museum walking in his house there in Fort Lauderdale. Mm-hmm. Wonderful guy. He introduced uh, me to Woody Woodbury. And I don't know if any of you older folks remember Woody Woodbury. He was a comedian back in the 40s and 50s. And, no, I don't uh, remember. Ed uh, and mm. Woody had uh, breakfast uh, every, uh, it just, I, I've got what days they met, but it was the day that I was in town in Fort Lauderdale, and I had the good fortune of meeting uh, Woody Woodbury. And um, great guy. And Woody's still alive. I think he's 99 years old now. And uh, But Ed uh, slain. Uh, was a real nice guy, and he'll he'll be missed. Mm-hmm. I don't think I knew him. I knew the name was familiar, but I don't think yeah. I really knew him. Any uh, silver liners news, uh, Brenda? When the magazine's coming out? <laughs> I'm working hard on it. Um, <laughs> it should come out <laughs> the first week or so of October, so it'll be a little bit earlier this year. Oh, and, uh, okay. yeah, I guess right now we're all working oh, – well, we're all um, – we're working towards the Dallas uh, mini convention, which is called our board meeting, which is every two years, and the convention is every other year. But the board meeting, we call it the unboard meeting, U-N-B-O-R-E-D. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so anyway, there's a lot of plans going on in Dallas. We're going to have a lot of fun, and that will be next April. And we've got, gosh, we're opening chapters like crazy. Yeah. So we're just growing and growing and growing. It's really, really wonderful. We just opened um, Seattle, Tacoma. Um, okay. The Phoenix, who's new, is, oh, my goodness, the number of flight attendants they have. So, yeah, it's uh, it's really a lot of fun. It's great right now. 
I'm trying to plan ahead to what happens if, um, well, we've got people listening around the world, and we are Silverliners International. So we have to start looking ahead with a business plan to incorporate uh, people who, the flight attendants from Italy, from France, from Japan. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. How about Mexico? Have you got anyone from Mexico or a chapter there? There used to be a chapter in Mexico. And uh, there isn't right now, and um, I haven't been long enough to know the history on that. I joined in 2018, early 2018. So um, I don't know, Neil, but they're certainly welcome, more than welcome. Yeah. Or South America. I just joined Silverliners, and it was so fun. I went to the uh, convention in Tampa and enjoyed so much our talent night where we did our performances. And I was one of the Golden Girls, not the one from Atlanta, but the Emerald Coast, and I was Rose. And Sandy Kleeman was Blanche. We had so much fun, and actually, we won. <laughs> oh, okay. I want to look at the yeah, pictures sure. and see what Go you on. look like, Janie. <laughs> it was so good. It was, it was so cute. <laughs> it was so fabulous. Will those pictures be in our October? October magazine. They sure would yep. make great pictures. Oh, oh great. yeah, of course. We um, we always follow up in the magazine where the convention. So we'll have stuff about Tampa, and then of course we're promoting Texas. So you'll see that in the magazine for sure. Maybe you I can get wait Cap- for the Dallas convention. Come over. <laughs> What's that, Neil? I said maybe you can get Captain Jim Harris to come over. Yeah, come on, Jim. Yeah, where's it going to be? Dallas. Um, yeah, it'll be in Dallas. And then um, I can't remember the name of the hotel offhand. But the hotel's already booked I'm, and everything. And yeah, I'm about yeah, 150 we'll be, south of Dallas. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. a bit. Yeah. That's What how, What would that be? Like, a, well, just a two-hour drive? Oh, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's three hours or less. Yeah. 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 Oh, you're most welcome, though. We'd love it. <laughs> okay. Yeah, there you go, Jim. Yeah. It, it'd be way fun, I'm sure. <laughs> it is. It really, really is. Now, we don't have the Miss Silverliner contest at the on-board meeting. It's really yeah. supposed to be <laughs> a meeting, but we have a 9 o'clock meeting, and then that's it. It's fun in the rest of the time. But, um, uh-huh. Uh, yeah, but we don't have the contest. That's at the convention, which Atlanta is hosting in 2024. Okay. And they were going to host it in, um, oh, what's the country? In Nashville. But I think they're thinking yes. twice because Nashville is so expensive. Uh-huh. Yeah, okay, well, yeah. I'm going to ask uh, Jim, uh, I mean, uh, Mark Porter to up, give us an update of uh, the Eastern Airlines that's operating under version 3.0. Uh, Mark, oh. can you bring us up to date quickly about what's going on there? Mark? Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you, Mark. Go ahead. Yes. We can hear you, Mark. Okay. Yeah, um, it seems like uh, Kenneth Woolley has pulled back a little bit from uh, Eastern Airlines. Now owns about 50% of it, and the other 50% uh, to Jet Midwest. And the CEO of Eastern has determined that their old jets that they're using consume too much fuel, 
So they're mainly running DOD and charter. And if the market opens up, then they will continue to go back to commercial. Um, and <clears throat> as far as I see it, one of their big flaws is that they are going into secondary markets with these huge jets on a point-to-point service. Right. Um, whereas if they had, let's say, instead of Miami to Guayaquil and Guayaquil or, or New York to Guayaquil, New York, Guayaquil only has 110,000 passengers that go annually to New York and your competition is steep. If you went from, let's say, Miami to either Buenos Aires or Sao Paulo, Brazil, that annual passenger load is 700,000, 800,000. And you still have two carriers out of each one out of South American and out of Buenos Aires, you have American and Aguilinas Argentinas. So the competition is less, and yet the population that... And he wants to fly like a Southwest Airlines, and he has two, two class configurations with 244 seats when he really should be a um, almost a charter configuration. Instead of a 232, he should be a 242 with 32 inches flying 328 passengers. And that's how you can fly in like a Southwest and a 767 and, uh, and beat out your competition that's tra- charging $1,200. You charge $800. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And uh, they're they doing a lot of military be- contracts, aren't they, uh- a lot, from, a lot. Yeah. The DOD yeah. paid um, three twenty-eight for two years, and the contract has to come up for renewal. And they had ten aircraft, and now they have five. Mm-hmm. And they're not getting any more seven six sevens, and they haven't been authorized or certified to fly the seven 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 eight zero three. You're breaking up, uh, Mark. Uh, and we're all interested in that. Yeah. Well, is uh, something. Huh? Yeah, I can hear you now. Go ahead. They have two of the 777s that they're sending on leases to Europe. So they'll be flying for European carriers because they haven't been authorized to fly here, and they have uh, 28 777s that are basically sitting around. How many planes do they have? Well, they do have quite a few, but unfortunately, from what my sources tell me, that Mr. Woolley buys a lot of airplanes that are junk. Uh, And so... That's comforting. It makes look... (laughs) Yeah. yeah, so, I mean, the, seven, the 777s are okay, but the 767s that he buys, they look impressive, but it's amazing they even make it from the desert to Jet Midwest because they, they get engines for seats, for body parts, anything. Yeah. So they only have five 763s. And N700 and uh, uh, the New England Patriots are the only two reliable ones. Yeah. Wow. Well, thank you very much, and uh, get a better connection next time because we'd like to hear more uh, about the uh, yes the, uh, yeah. the continuing of Eastern the new uh, the new Eastern version 3.0. 
And um, I'm going to turn it over to Kennedy Tower right now. And Eastern 12, you're cleared for the Canarsie approach to runway 13 left. Wind is zero niner degrees at 10 knots. Roger Kennedy, Eastern 12 cleared for the cleared for the Canarsie 13 left approach. We're coming in. Coming in on a wing and a prayer. Coming in on a wing and a prayer. Though there's one motor gone, we can still carry on. Coming in on a wing and a prayer. What a show, what a fight. Yes, we really hit our target for tonight. How we sing as we limp through the air. Look below, there's our field over there. With our full crew aboard and our trust in the Lord, we're coming in on a wing and a prayer. Thank you, Neil. That does it for today, and thank you very much, uh, Janie, and uh, thank you. all of our hosts. Thank uh, you, thank Neil. You. Yeah, good, good show. Thank you so much. We'll see you next week. Thank you. Bye bye. Okay, bye bye. Okay. They're taking you away and leaving me lonely. Silver wing, slowly fading out of sight. Don't. I cried. Don't take that airplane ride But you locked me out of your mind And left me standing here behind Silver wings Shining in the sun Somewhere in flight They're taking you away Leaving me lonely Silver wings Slowly fading out of sight Taking you away and leaving me lonely. Silver wings slowly fading out of sight. Slowly fading out of sight. Thanks, folks. And Margaret, I'm going to give you a call. Okay. I'll wait for it. Okay. See you. Bye.
Bye.